Welcome to DC TV Classics. I'm your host, Keith Chow. I know it's been a while since we've had a podcast episode, but we could not let this moment pass without talking about it. Of course, I'm talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths, the the big five four episode crossover, five episode. I don't know. It's a lot of TV on the CW this December with Arrow, Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. I guess it is five episodes, but also crossing over with Batman 66 and Superman Returns. And of course, my favorite show, Smallville. So who else to have on this podcast episode than one of the other biggest Smallville nerds that I know? I actually reached out to him way back when we launched the podcast. I'm like, hey, do you want to be a guest host on DC TV Classics? We get to talk about all the cool old DC shows. And he was like, yes, but then I don't think I can. But thankfully, two years later, I wrote I <laughs> him in, got him on the podcast. Please welcome VP of Marketing at Boom Studios, big Smallville nerd, DC comic superhero fan, Arun Singh. Yeah, somebody saved me from my mistake of not doing this more often. I uh, know I'm I'm so thrilled to be on here. Yeah, I I, I remember those conversations. I wish I uh, could have been here from the start. It was uh, your your patience with me is admirable, uh, much like everybody's good, patience man. with Clark as he lied to them for ten seasons. <laughs> Wait, are you, were you saying you were lying to me? Were, you, were these just secrets <laughs> and lies? You know what? I don't know if there's a Freudian slip or what, but let's just keep moving forward. No, no, it you was know, uh, every time I see you in a red jacket and a blue shirt, I'm thinking he could have been on the podcast. For full transparency, everybody, when Keith and I had first talked about this, I was doing some job hunting, mm. and uh, I had a, uh, I was said, look, more, I don't more free time something. at the time, I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I also didn't want to commit to something that I then would have to step out of because that would be much worse. Yeah. And so, uh, no, I, uh, I love Smallville. I was from day one. I watched it. I have a Superman tattoo. I had a pretty major surgery a couple of years ago. Uh, my job, my job was like broken. It was purposely broken and moved forward and then screwed in with metal plates and wired shut. It's called MMA surgery. Mm-hmm. Not because you're an MMA fighter. Nope. It's uh, I wish it was that cool. It was <laughs> help with sleep apnea. So, um, what I did was, and this is my Smallville thing. I was 250 pounds at the time. I needed to get down to 180. Um, which I did in four months. And wow. I need to learn your secret because I think I to get, <laughs> get your mouth wired shut and be on a liquid diet for a month. <laughs> oh, You'll lose you 30 pounds right away. <laughs> but what I did was so after a couple of days of feeling really sorry for myself, I was up at Stanford and I had to stay there for a week because every day I had to go get my uh, jaw checked with the doctor to make sure it hadn't gone off center. So I was there with my parents in this hotel room. My wife had had to go back to LA because she has a job. And so I was in my parents' capable hands. I felt sorry for myself for two days and said, you know what? I'm allowed to walk at a treadmill. I can't run or do any other major exercise, nor did I want to. Mm. I got in a treadmill and what I would do is I would exercise for, I would get on the treadmill for 60 minutes a day. What I did was um, I set it at a maximum incline. If you want to know the best way to lose weight on a treadmill, set it at a maximum incline and then just walk as fast as you can, no matter what speed it is. It tr- mm-hmm. You will burn off the fat. So I first started doing it by watching the Justin Hartley episodes of Smallville because that dude is like shredded and it sounds dumb. (laughs) And those episodes were so good. I just was like, let me just watch these episodes. It'll be a nice bit of like nostalgia. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I love this show. And so when I finally got back to LA, I uh, bought it all on iTunes and I'd go to the 24 hour fitness near me every day for uh, an hour and a half. And I would uh, uh, just watch Smallville for an hour on the treadmill. So an episode and a bit. And then I would, uh, uh, you know, just um, listen to podcasts and run into the rest of my stuff there. But 
I was uh, watching it, and I'd come home and watch some, and I watched all 10 seasons of the show over two months. Whoa, two months. That's yep. that's a commitment. Yeah, because well, when you're burning through a couple episodes on the treadmill and then a couple more at home because you're sitting at yeah, home on true. medical leave with your mouth wired shut, you got right, lots of true. time. <laughs> <laughs> and this wasn't – you didn't just discover it. You had watched it when it originally ran. Day, this was day going one, back and rewatching. Day one, I, and I, I even was one of the few people at the very first Smallville panel – at San Diego, uh, or I should say the first one, at, it was the one between season one and season two. Right, and, right. And it was in this tiny room. It was one of those tiny rooms you can't imagine now. And none of the actors were there, but Goff and Miller, Miller were, were there. there. Yeah. And it was, they were talking about the finale, season finale. And I remember, I remember, do you remember when they were on the cover of, uh, those actors on the cover of Rolling Stone, how big a deal that was? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, That show yeah. was huge in like... 2001, 2002. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I'm a hardcore Superman guy. That was, uh, I love that show. And so I hadn't really rewatched it until that point because I think when I was done, I was kind of done and, you know, life moved on. Right. <laughs> but I have the Smallville role-playing RPG handbook. I have um, a bunch of the comics. I have some of the action figures from over the years. Uh, I, I realize now how how much I never lost my love for it. And I still – my wife works for Warner Brothers. And I'm like, hey, do you have an employee discount? Because I still really want the red leather Superman jacket, which is still <laughs> on their website. <laughs> You're talking about the one with the S. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 best, was the best costume, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually was recounting this on uh, the last Nerds of Color episode uh, with Dominic where we we were talking about the crisis and, and I was recounting it like my my history with the show too. And and it was – I was there from day one as well. I think I, I glommed onto the show because I remember I was reading an issue of Wizard Magazine. You remember Wizard yeah, Magazine? Yeah, I do. And they were doing like a – like upcoming next year like a fall tv preview or whatever and it was just a very small blurb but it was a photo of tom welling and Kristen crook and they said this is a new 21st century take on the superman myth and i remember looking at Kristen going is she asian (laughs) is there gonna be an asian person on this show i'm gonna tune in and that was the only reason i tuned i mean i loved superman but i i was like i think most people at the time when they announced like superman in high school i was thinking that's a take yeah (laughs) i'm not sure i'm gonna be into that and then I tuned, but then I saw that, you know, they had recast Lana as an Asian person. Well, they had cast an Asian person in the role of Lana. They, I don't think they actually ever committed to Lana being Asian, except for that one season where she was like a Kung Fu warrior. Yeah. But I was, I was already bought in when I saw that there was an Asian Lana Lang. And then from the first episode, I was like, whoa, this is really good. Mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't just some like hoax. Cause I, at the time, you know, Lois and Clark had been out. The, the Superboy shows had yeah. been out and, you know, they were to varying successes of, of good and not. But from the first episode, it was like, wow. What I loved about those early seasons of Smallville was the, the focus on the family. Yep. Jonathan Kent, Martha Kent, played by John Schneider and Annette O'Toole, were perfect. And I was really bought in by season two when he met Christopher Reeve. Yeah. The moment in the episode of Rosetta where Christopher Reeve is in his wheelchair and he and he meets Tom Welling for the first time, passes the torch, tells him about his Kryptonian identity. From that moment, I mean, I was a fan, but from that moment, I was a stan. <laughs> I think I think Smallville is honestly one of the most important pieces of uh, superhero pop culture ever, and I I don't think that's an I don't think that's a co- entirely hot take because Mm-mm. even Gu- Mark Guggenheim, who's a friend of mine, has uh, talked about how like these superhero shows exist because Smallville paved the way. But, yeah. but I'd also argue for Superman. I think there's a lot of lessons in how that show approached Superman that I 
I think could be applied to the way the storytelling is uh, done now with him in, in, in pop culture and maybe even right. in the comics. Like I think Brian Bendis does a great job of Superman in the comics, but I do think there is, um, I think the ability to, I think the, that what Goff and Miller figured out in, in terms of making Clark Kent an everyman chipped mm-hmm. away at the biggest criticism of Superman, which is that he's too perfect, but like his whole, exactly. his whole friendship with, with Lex was, was such a beautiful tragedy, right? Because you, you, yeah. you know how it's going to end, but you're, you're just hoping against You're rooting hope. for them for nine seasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I got to tell you, Keith, it's um, uh, going back and rewatching it as you have done as well. Like, there's a lot in that show uh, that is aged, I think, extremely well. I mm-hmm. actually think after the initial introduction of Lois, where I think she felt a bit more sexualized at first, like Erica mm. Durant is my favorite Lois, and that's there's oh bar none, yeah bar none, because by the end of it, she is so she has so much agency in the show and so much yeah. power and. Like she takes no crap from anyone, and even when the show, which is the perfect Lois Lane, yes, she. And, and, yeah. But like you can see, you can see a ferociousness and a tenderness, and I think that's so hard to do without. Uh, I hate using the B word that's often ascribed to women because it's so I think right, gentrified. Right. But often the characters can end up being construed as that B word, or you get some characters right. like. I think the problem is you can veer too far into the aggressive, and it becomes Jessica Jones, who's a wonderful character but a very different character. Or the right, character right. becomes too demure, and like I don't know who the who the comp for that is, but like Lois was always correct, and she was always really smart, and always like even if she wasn't in on the secret, she wasn't an idiot. Right. And like that's what I liked about her so much, and that you felt a real warmth between her and Clark, but also you felt that Clark had to make earn it. Like he didn't just get her right away; he had to earn that love. And like that scene where he reveals who he is to her. Mm-hmm. It's just so sweet and beautiful, and I it makes me smile right now just talking <laughs> about it. It's they're they're so great together. Uh, but yeah, that I I love Smallville and I love Superman. Um, I actually think Superman Returns itself is is underrated, mm. and so I am. I mean, you love it all. <laughs> oh, I love it all. But you and I have uh, less so about Man of Steel. Yeah, but yeah. You well, and we I can, have we been. Can get uh, there. <laughs> yeah, but you you and I have been uh I think both losing our collective minds over all the awesome Superman news and Smallville news especially. Oh, it, it's insane cuz to your point crisis. to your point when after the finale 9 years ago, Jesus. Yeah. It was like <laughs> it was like, you know, you 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 got to see at least Welling rip open the shirt and have an S underneath. Okay, fine. That's yeah. that's as good as we're going to get. And you move on. It's like, all right, that's the end of Smallville. Like and and you know, you kind of got the sense that the actors moved on, right? Like Welling, he never did a lot of press to begin with. And he never gave the impression that he just loved being Superman. So it was like, it was like once he was done, he was done. Uh, what What is great about Tom Welling over the last couple of years though, which kind of precluded his return to the character is that he has been doing the convention circuit more now. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually got to, to meet him in Washington DC a couple of years ago. And you can tell that like, there is a sense of, appreciation that maybe he didn't have while he was in it. And he's talked about this on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. Like when you're in it and when it's a job, you know, you don't necessarily love it. Uh, but then now that he's got some time, he, he does look back fondly at the character. And I think that's what has precipitated his return. Yeah. But you did get the sense like the finality of it all. And, and the fact that I would never have imagined that we would see Tom Welling and Eric Durant as Clark Kent and Lois Lane again, and that we're going to get that in a couple of months. It just blows my mind. Yeah, that they they've released that one photo. I think Eric Durant yeah, put it out Instagram. of uh, 
Oh my! It, it just I makes cried. me happy. I cried when it I just saw makes it. me so happy. <laughs> it is, and I'll be honest. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Brandon Routh, but yeah. um, there is nothing in that crossover that can make me happier than just seeing. It sounds dumb, just seeing Lois and Clark on the Kent farm. Yeah, it just makes me happy because that's like, because I actually. I'll tell you, I, I love, uh, I think Brian Q. Miller and, and a Breath of Artists did a really good job on the continuation of Smallville as... Um, on season 11 comics. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much of that's continuity still or not now. And, and, and honestly, that's not my concern. They're good comics, so I'm glad they existed. Mm-hmm. But I will say it does, as much as I enjoyed those comics, you kind of do feel like Smallville ended when he became Superman. Because everything after that becomes like an alternate universe version of the right. uh, Superman. You know, and again... Love those comics. It's a different dynamic having Chloe and Green Arrow that way. But part of the fun of Smallville was like you wanted him to become Superman, but it was like on some level the creativity of how he just never became Superman is what kept you going. <laughs> like how are they going to pull it off this time? Yeah, yeah. how is he not? He's a blur. Now he's wearing a black costume. He's like, <laughs> you know, that was part of the joy that much as fans, when you're in it, you get frustrated. But looking back at it, you're like, oh, yeah, if they hadn't done that, it would have been five years of a show. We never would have got to, like, Oliver Queen and Lois dating. Right, right, And, right. like, we never would have got to, like, the randomness of the Justice Society being in the show <laughs> or the Legion being in the show. And, like, that show, that show did it all first. They did stuff you shouldn't be able to do. They, had, they did Brainiac in a way that had never been done. They did Doomsday yeah. in a way that hadn't been done. And they made him sympathetic. Like You know, it's funny. I think the later seasons often get derided for being schlocky, for being, you know, when people, people who do talk positively about Smallville, they always talk about the early seasons. And, and you know, I think I'm glad that it's finally getting its due because I, I feel like for a while there, people weren't giving that show the credit that it deserved. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great to hear Guggenheim and Stephen Amell talk about how the Arrowverse exists because of Smallville. Yeah, and you know, and, and you mentioned you mentioned Justin Hartley's Green Arrow a, a second ago. In fact, there was talk about his character being spun off. Yeah, and and when that fell through, is is kind of what opened the door for a new version of Arrow. But like Green Arrow as a character in pop culture, I don't think would have existed to the extent that it does now, if not for Smallville, right? Like Green Arrow was a minor, minor to like the general public, right? They know everyone knows yeah. Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, and then maybe Flash and Green Lantern. And then there's a tier below and Green Arrow was in that tier. And because of Smallville bringing him to the surface, it allowed for a show like Arrow to launch. And, and I'm, I'm just glad that it's getting the, it's just due because I remember at the time being part of the fandom at the time, there was a lot of, dislike of smallville during its run uh and that and typically from like maybe older fans the definitely male fans kind of the gatekeepery fans of superman back in the day who were like dismissively looked at smallville as well that's the show for girls that's the dawson's creek version of superman my superman is not that and it's just great to see the love of the show and those particular characters in all the like pop culture news of the last few weeks because of its return in crisis. That, that, that evolution is, is also what makes me happy because it basically proved that it earned its right to be part of the Superman canon. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, there's a lot of, I mean, I think without getting into it, we know that Chloe is not a character that's probably going to bring around much. <laughs> yeah. We, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. But I do think like it redefined green, it made green arrow sexy, right? It made mm-hmm. green arrow, um, gave him an edge. And in a way he didn't always have an I look, 
For any of the comic fans, yes, I'm a hard traveling <laughs> heroes fan. I've read the Kevin Smith Longbow stuff. Longbow Hunters. I've yeah. read Longbow Hunters. I've read the Brad Meltzer. So I, I've read it. Trust me, I'm not saying uh, that stuff is good or bad. What I'm saying is this is a distinct version of Green Arrow that shares a lot with Batman, but actually a joie de vivre that, that Bruce Wayne never has had. Yeah. And like – You're talking about the Justin Hartley version. More the Justin Hartley version, Amell, but, right. but I'll even say that he was Bruce Wayne-ish, but you can see that informing the Stephen Amell Arrow version, which is the abs for days, right? Like the mm-hmm. sexiness of the character and leaning into the Bruce Wayne-y aspects – whether uh, – and I've never asked Mark this, so I'm not saying dealing with inside information. But it's hard to not – to imagine they weren't impacted by what Hartley and, and the sure. Smallville crew did because even on Smallville, they took a bit more time to examine his trauma on the island. Now, when Jock and Diggle finally did Green Arrow Year One, which is clearly the basis for the Arrow TV show, mm-hmm. that, that just said let's explore the island trauma even more. But in the comics, that island trauma always felt like – a like one panel of the story. Right. And I think this, you could tell like in, in Smallville, they were trying to bring more depth and his relationship with Tess and all that stuff was so fascinating. And I, I felt like that version of Arrow gave me a version of Green Arrow I connected to. Now, someone might be like, well, that's not the real version. I, I One, I don't subscribe to the, that. I don't right, care. Right, right, right. And two, uh, it's a version I, 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 I locked into, but I couldn't find that version anywhere else. And it was hard for me to then connect to like, the beard goatee old guy version of the comics, <laughs> you know, like it's not that cause Kevin Smith or Meltzer didn't do a great job. Uh, and the artists, of course they worked with, but it's because I just like, I wanted more of that Hartley version. Right. And so, you know, the era, when I saw arrow for the first time, I was like, Oh yeah, this feels like I am into what they're doing here. It's got just enough of the fun of the, of the Hartley version, but it's its own take. Love it. And so I'm glad that, uh, you know, uh, Hartley's Aquaman less resonant. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you could see, uh, and in a way that Cyborg and Aquaman and, and other characters and Flash on on Smallville didn't have the same resonance. I think there was something about what they committed to with Arrow that just right. I mean, there's a reason he bigger. became he became a regular after yeah. season six. You were part of the fandom at the time too, as you said. You watched the mm-hmm. the first ten seasons in real time. Did you get a sense as as a longtime Superman fan as well? Did you get a sense that there was a division? in fans for like those who accepted Smallville and those who felt that Smallville was like a quote unquote bastardization of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, now I want to point out when I worked, uh, when I was on TV, I worked at Nordstrom at the time and I used to wear a suit a lot. And my nod to Smallville was I would often wear blue shirts with red ties or red shirts (laughs) with blue ties, no matter how bad it looked just because that's what Clark Kent would do. But I worked at a comic shop in uh, Egan, uh, Minnesota. It's called Mind's Eye Comics. It's now since changed uh, ownership, and it's over in Burnsville, Minnesota. Great shop. Go visit it. And I uh, worked there part-time. And you could tell, like, me and a couple of the guys there watched Smallville. But when customers came in, you could tell they ragged on it. I was like, oh, no, I love the show. They're like, oh, yeah. you're, you're not a fan? I'm like, no, 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 I, I'm a fan. But <laughs> I just – I don't know what – I didn't understand what gatekeeping was, and that really helped me understand gatekeeping. I'm right. like – no, I can like both. I can. It's okay to have a different version. Look, I, at that time, I would argue that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies that everyone hailed as um, definitive. Definitive. Uh, there was no comic version that 100% felt like that. Even the Amazing yeah. Spider-Man or Ultimate Spider-Man comics didn't quite feel like that. And that's okay. I think that dissonance is okay. I think these characters are really elastic, and I think there are certain things that break the band. But we should be able to do different versions of them. And so I, I saw a lot of those longtime fans coming in, especially I was in my 20s at the time. They were in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe older. 
they had no time for that show. And, and it made me think a lot about how much they loved Batman 66 and didn't understand why people hated it so much. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, what people didn't understand was that it was partly satire. And I'm like, yeah, what you don't understand is that Smallville <laughs> is how people right now want to ingest Superman mm-hmm. because they don't care about the traditional version of Superman right now. Right, right. And I think to what you were saying earlier, one of the things that Golf and Miller really hit on is the idea of, of making Clark Kent the the main character because you know I, I've talked about this on this podcast and basically every podcast I've ever been on there's a there's a scene and I'm not a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino so I'll put that out right now but part of that part of the reason for that is there's a scene in Kill Bill where David Carradine's character talks about he critiques the idea of Superman or he critiques the idea of Clark Kent because he says basically the gist is I don't want to get into the whole monologue but the gist is Clark Kent is Superman's critique of the human race. Because he, Superman is this godlike alien yeah. being who could destroy the world with a thought, and and when he disguises himself, he disguises himself as this like meek, you know, put a, put upon like nerd, and that's because that's how he views humanity. And I feel like that take on Superman is what a lot of people, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of people in like decision making places feel of Superman as well. They they feel they always lean into like he's the god who could kill everyone on site and everyone should be scared of Superman and where Goff and Millar zagged instead of zigged is they said, well, no, he's this salt of the earth kid raised by these salt of the earth parents who has problems like everybody else and getting into the humanity of Superman is where I think they, they clicked on something for me as someone who loves the character and, and always bristled at the idea like Superman's boring. He's boring because he's too powerful and he's too good. You know, like that, like you mentioned man of steel, like there's this version of Superman that I think, a lot of people, modern audiences feel like needs to be this godlike, powerful being that must be stopped and don't cling to the humanity of him and, and the, the innate goodness of the character. And I think Marcus McFeely, the, the two writers of those Captain America movies have, have said that the way they approach Captain America proves that Superman, the earnest goody two shoes, boy scout Superman could still work in, in the quote unquote cynical modern society. Because yeah, Steve, Chris Evans, Captain America is like how I always wanted Superman portrayed. And he reminds exactly. me a lot of like Tom Welling's Clark Kent, honestly. And also with the same kind of criticism too. Remember, remember how everyone was against Chris Evans? Yeah, at the beginning. Oh yeah, Johnny Storm, that guy. I, I, He's too pretty. I, yeah, yeah, it will never work. Um, and I think what it should. I think Tom Welling, what he doesn't get enough credit for is the vulnerability he had as Clark mm-hmm. Kent. Yes, like, you, it, he played the pain of it really well. I do think there's a bit of context whenever someone watches that show, you have to look at, like, look at the other teen dramas at the time. Mm-hmm. There was a way they were being made that may be different than some of the teen dramas that are being made now and our, our vocabulary, storytelling vocabulary that's changed. Yeah, but yeah. there is so much that was really smart about that show and, and so much they, they, they found a way to make that monster of the week stuff work and tell a macro story. In an era right. where that was still a new idea, Buffy was really had, had was beginning to popularize it, but you didn't have a lot of mainstream shows trying to do that. That storytelling, yeah. yeah, and they were also trying to tell a story where you still rooted for Lex Luthor, who you know is going to become a bad guy. And that is, um, look, I think the fact that they made they made such a variety of characters work, and there's so many that still stick with us: Clark, Lex, Lana, Oliver, 
Lois, Martha, Martha, Jonathan, Jonathan Lionel. Lionel. I mean, when you when, when you saw him, John Glover in Shazam, did you think anything other than Lionel Luther? Of oh, course yeah, not. especially that he was the father of a <laughs> yeah, bald yeah. megalomaniac uh, <laughs> supervillain. <laughs> I feel like that was almost intentional. Yeah, yeah, like it was. I almost wish there had been a gag there where someone called him Lionel. He's like, that's not my name. Um, it just wouldn't have worked for a mass audience. It would just been you and me cheering. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but like the the fact that they did that. Uh, makes me so I think should make us all proud of what that show was and I'm not saying everyone has to like it but you got to respect that show because it exactly. did, it's done something it did something that no one has been able to do since it made Superman so cool he had to be on the cover of Rolling Stone <laughs> and I, I mean and I know Rolling Stone may not it may be different in the nowadays right right hierarchy, but for us back but give me day, give yeah. me the give me the correlate where has Superman been that cool and I'm not saying coolness is everything, but you have to understand it transcended the restrictions of what Superman's always been. I'm sorry, I get passionate about this one. No, no, for sure. Well, and the, the other thing that always irks me, too, is that the, there is always that complaint about why it's so hard to tell a Superman story in the 21st century, yeah. right? It's like, as I was saying earlier, it's, he's he's unrelatable. He's too good. He's too powerful. He's got too many powers. He's blah, 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 blah. And it's like uh, there was a show on for 10 seasons that was like the perfect template on how to tell a Superman story in the 21st century. Uh, and also right? heat, heat vision as a sign of puberty. Uh, holy crap. How brilliant <laughs> is that? It's so awesome. It's so cheesy, but so good. I love and and like the teasing of him flying all the time. Right. And like, right. And the way he would dream and that's what made him weightless. Like there was actually a lot that's really smart there. And look, there are some seasons. I, I remember it was like, season eight or nine seven seven was the one i was not a fan yeah of. <laughs> I, I think there, there there's i know um when the kryptonians came to earth i thought that was a tough season that was maybe not yeah seven seven was uh supergirl yeah and i, I what i didn't like about it was, so we can get into yeah, like, the things yeah. we didn't like the season i didn't like the most was seven mainly because it was lana and lex's last it was chris and crook and michael rosenbaum's last season and they spent so much time that year yeah. which should have been their swan song on yeah. like introducing Kara. Um, and so it was a lot of retread of like season one stuff, right? Because she's the alien getting used to living on Earth kind of thing. And I thought it just, and the, the whole traveler stuff I felt like was kind of a retread yeah, of season yeah. two and Project Veritas I thought was a weird, <laughs> like all that kind of like mytho- mythological stuff I thought was not executed as great. I have season eight, and so like the post Lex stuff, the post Lana stuff, eight, nine, and 10, I actually really liked those seasons just because. Not necessarily the macro story of those three seasons, but to what we were saying earlier, that was the evolution of Clark and Lois and and really getting to see them, you know, working at the planet and basically giving us the Superman story without him being Superman. Right. Like it was still, you know, Lois working at the planet and then Clark having the dual identity, even though it was the blur, which was never a great name. And there was the, the one thing I really disliked about Smallville, I think, overall. Uh, as much as I love the show and and it goes to what you were saying about Lex's journey and it's him having like when he came back in the finale and them erasing his memory, I felt like, was it, I don't know. That was the one thing that rubbed me wrong because I felt like I know the reason they did is like, well, you can't have Lex know that Clark is Superman, but I feel like the way they built up Luther's character over 10 seasons, they could have figured out a way to make that work without him losing all of the character growth that yeah. he did over those nine seasons. I, yeah. I, I will say the challenges I had with that show, one was I never understood what Jor-El was supposed to be, and I felt like Jor-El was what was <laughs> the plot needed. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. also argue that like the thing with Lex, and it, I think maybe it may be a feature and not a bug, but like it's my own um, bias here. Like 
I never felt like Lex was the bad guy at first. Like, okay, I want to say mm-hmm. it's really creepy. He created an entire room devoted to researching this high school kid. <laughs> like, super creepy. Yeah. However, like, I actually thought he was he was such a tragic story, and it, he became more tragic yeah, over yeah. time. That there's that episode. Remember when he discovers Clark's powers before losing his memory? Memory loss was probably my least favorite thing in the show. The memory loss right, stuff right, right. drove me it was nuts. So easy, yeah. but he's totally fine with Clark having lied to him. He's like, he's like, Clark, I understand it. You can help me get out of here. The, the institution he was in, he's like, just help me. And like, yeah. I, I also thought that that was the moment where I f- started feeling like you almost made too Lex too sympathetic because <laughs> Clark, Clark, bad, Clark yeah. feels like a jerk. And like, <laughs> and like Jonathan Kent was always like those Luthers, you can't trust me. And you're like, but wait, wait, yeah, wait, yeah, wait, yeah. wait, but Lex is a good one. That's the point. Like <laughs> you, I, I, it was actually, I actually think in weird ways, I'd love to see a remake of Smallville because all that gristle in there, like the, that Jonathan Kent is kind of a hypocrite is a thing mm-hmm. that could be embraced with a lot more um, nuance. If you told the story now, like, I don't want, right. I don't want a evil Jonathan Kent, but I do think Jonathan Kent who has blinders when it comes to the Luthers is a really interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they did a good job for the most part of, of illustrating yeah. that. I mean, th- I think a lot of it has to do with just how great, O'Toole and Schneider oh, yeah. as the kids. Yeah. You know, and talk about the things that Smallville established as far as, you know, revolutionizing the canon. I think de-aging the Kents was probably the best mm-hmm. thing that they ever introduced. You know, the people joke about like sexy Aunt May now, right? On on the, in the MCU, but like they were the first to do it to make to make what were these elderly, you know, grandparents basically for fifty years yeah. into like younger parents. Yeah. Which I think also made them more understanding and it made them more relatable to audiences but they were also complicated too they weren't just the perfect grandma and grandpa to make you know clark they had their own flaws and 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 arguably some like crazy ass stories eventually when like jonathan becomes a senator and and martha becomes the red yeah yeah like there there were there was some yeah like and it's uh i was just looking through the season i think season nine is probably the one with the zod stuff that i had the yeah. least excitement rewatching, but I got to tell you, like, I just fast forward all that stuff for the lowest. And yeah, exactly. Stuff, I did. Honestly. And I can, again, the way I was watching this stuff on the treadmill, it, it my annoyance yeah. <laughs> had it distracted me um, from it sometimes, but this is like, I don't know. We had death stroke in this show, man. We had like, we had yeah. a justice league. We had the justice society. We had the legion of superheroes, Dr. Fate, the best live action. Yes. Dr. Fate. I've like, ever seen. I, I gotta be honest. Like, this was awesome, and I'm really cool with it. So this is all to say, I think, going back to a point, I'm so excited for Crisis to be embracing. Oh, yeah, I forgot. This yeah. is the Crisis episode, I, I, not the small I, I, I'm, I'm excited for Crisis <laughs> to be embracing every bit of the DCU, even like Ashley Scott from Birds of Prey, which yes. there are apparently more Birds of Prey fans than just me, which is awesome to hear. Well, that's the other thing. I think a lot of it, I mean, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, I think. And when, you, when you're in it and you realize like all these people like dismiss the things that you're into... When you include time in the equation, people do look back on things fond. It's like, honestly, I think about this all the time when I like turn on my Apple Music and I, and I do like an '80s playlist, and and half the songs that I listen to like make me happy today. But I remember when I was like nine years old, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily digging like Phil Collins. But like when like in the air tonight comes on now, I'm like, yeah, the yeah. drums hit. I'm like, that's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Because it reminds you of a time. Oh yeah when you were younger. And I think that's kind of what's happened with this kind of retro appreciation for birds of prey and Smallville and Superman returns even. Cause I honestly, I wasn't a huge fan when that came out, but the fact that Brandon Routh is getting a second chance to play the character makes me so happy. And he may have the best Superman 
live action costume ever produced. That Kingdom Come costume oh, is amazing. Is, oh, is amazing. I met him. Um, I was uh, when I was at Comic Resources at CBR. I, I went to Australia uh, for the uh, set visit for Superman Returns. Oh wow! And I always remember that I was uh, I was so I'm a big daytime soap guy, so I knew him from One Life to Live. And my question <laughs> to him was uh, was about One Life to Live, and I remember he looked at me and was like, "You watched the show?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And it was, and it wasn't. He was like, he wasn't like, it was he wasn't like, a, oh, a guy watched show. I think he was just was not expecting anyone to ask him about one life right. to live. You know, it was also the first time I learned that Cal Penn is a stage name. I, I, I didn't know at that point. Oh, right, right. That uh, Cal Penn was his, uh, was his way of uh, first name. Yeah, yeah, it was his first name. It was just like it was the things I learned that changed a lot of how I viewed the world after that. He was a genuinely nice guy. Everything I've heard about anyone who knows him is that he's a, just a decent guy. He's also been so good on Legends of Tomorrow and in the Arrowverse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I also yeah. like that we're in a world where we can all just understand this guy is going to look like the Atom. People might make a joke about it, but it's okay. He's Superman. And that yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. have him, hopefully, next to Tom Welling. Next to Tyler Hackman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. that and then you get like, and honestly, I don't even need Tom Welling in the Superman suit. That's actually not my interest. I actually, that, mm-hmm. that photo of uh, Lois and Clark, Erica Durant's and Tom Welling versions in the farm clothes is actually in a weird way, the version I want, because that's yeah. the Smallville version to me. Cause he was, right, he right. was the one who didn't need a suit to be a hero. And like, right. You want him in the red jacket and the blue shirt. Maybe, though, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, but honestly, it's funny. I thought about that and I actually think I just want him in the plaid. I just want him in the, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think that's what makes him look different next to traditional Superman and Kingdom Come Superman. Because what's his Superman going to be? It's either going to be the jacket or it's going to be the black uniform. I, 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 don't, right. I don't really. Well, I mean, he has the traditional costume at the end of the He finale, does, but so. like because we've never fully seen him in it, I don't have an attachment right. to him being in it. Yeah, as long as they don't CGI the suit yeah. on him. Like... Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the only thing I think this crossover is missing is Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern, and then I'll uh, die happy, but that might be a bridge too far. I mean, who knows? Who know, by, the, by, the way, by the way, they keep announcing everything, and by the time this podcast yeah. goes up, they may have already announced Ryan Reynolds. I mean, this is what's so kind of mind-blowing about their approach to Crisis. The fact that they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earth on TV is already like, whoa. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and and for those who may not be familiar, though, if you're listening to DC TV classics and you don't know Crisis on Infinite Earths, the comic, why are you listening to DC TV classics? But the point of the comic back in 1985 was that DC comics at, at that point had so many like continuities, like simultaneous origin stories, different versions of the characters coexisting in different plots and everything that the continuity was basically out of hand. So they, the powers that be at DC decided, well, let's find a way to merge it all together and start from scratch. And basically after the events of crisis gave us, you know, for old comics nerds like me and you, we remember comics used to be divided between pre-crisis and Mm post-crisis, right? And pre-crisis was all the wacky stuff. It was all the justice society stuff and it was earth two stuff and all that. Right. And post-crisis was Frank Miller's year one, John Burns, man of steel, George Perez's wonder woman, right? It was all of the, that like modern what we think of like modern continuity all the way up until new 52 basically was called post-crisis continuity with kyle rayner as green lantern and uh wally west as the flash like those kind of modern 90s era of comics were born out of the events of crisis infinite where they basically streamlined the continuity what they're doing here on the tv shows is kind of similar in that 
and this is something that I've always actually wanted from live action DC beyond just TV. I wanted them to kind of embrace all of the live action stuff as multiverses of different coexisting universes, right? Because they were never going to be able to do what Marvel does, where it's like all one thing. That's just something that Marvel had the ability to do, uh, the the wherewithal to do, and in fact resembled the yep. comics because Marvel comics was always a singular yep. continuity from like the moment Stanley put something on paper that's been one single time. I mean, not anymore. There's so many now, but it was one single timeline. Everything happened in New York city. You looked out your window and Spider-Man would swing by and the fantastic four Baxter building was there. There was never multiple dimensions in, in the Marvel comics, the way that there was in DC. And so instead of having a Marvel cinematic universe, DC should have always had a DC cinematic multiverse mm-hmm. where Michael Keaton's Batman exists. Val Kilmer's Batman exists. Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, like they can all coexist in different, alternate realities and they're kind of doing that with the the crisis crossover this fall they're they're acknowledging that in addition to the grant gustin flash there also exists a john wesley ship flash you know who knows maybe they get justin hartley and there's two versions of green arrow or two versions of aquaman if they get i'm just right <laughs> exactly well they get alan yeah. richardson and um and justin hartley to play a double role oh. and you know alan richardson exists as hawk maybe they bring in the titans yeah exactly so but what, what's great is that they're acknowledging that like Burt Ward from mm-hmm. the '60s Batman exists. He's going to be in the crossover. Kevin Conroy is playing Batman. That's crazy bananas. That they're basically saying the animated series reality exists. You know, I mean, I'm assuming he's playing the animated version of Batman. I, don't I know. mean, I think on, I think on some level it's what we're going to think about it as because it's Kevin Conroy. Yeah. But it's I. It's gonna be interesting to see how much screen time everyone gets. Like, especially that's the one thing I'm worried about. Honestly, like I'm so jacked for it, but it's like maybe Tom and Eric is only seen as them on the farm, and then their world disappears. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, what I'm and look, about. I, I think um, on the flip side of it, and again, I uh, I say it's the bias that Mark Guggenheim's a great friend of mine over the years has been, and uh, he's a tremendous writer and tremendous individual. Rosenbaum came out recently and yeah, blasted yeah, them, that. basically saying. The, the crossover folks, not necessarily Mark specifically, but saying like, hey, right, right, right. they didn't have quite, they weren't going to pay me much, which who knows. Um, he's like, they didn't really have much of a plan for me again. Who knows? But like. They didn't show him the script. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the fact is it does lead you to wonder, frankly, from a storytelling point of view, look at all those characters. How much do we need the Huntress in a bunch of these, you know. Right. In these scenes. How much do we need Bruce Wayne? I don't have an answer for that, but I can see Like you could look at these crossovers and understand a world where Kevin Conroy and Ashley Scott are mostly in the Batwoman crossover episode. Mm-hmm. And then all the Superman people are mostly in the Supergirl crossover episode. And then like, I don't know, you know, again, Arrow and Flash will figure itself out. So, but in those episodes, how much time do they all get to have? Like, I'm sure everyone gets their moment because these shows have been so good about giving them their moment. But I forget, is it confirmed if the Black Lightning characters are involved in this or not? I, well, they? I think they did confirm because uh, Cress Williams let it out the bag like on Instagram or something over the summer. <laughs> the show itself isn't going to be part of the crossover, so there's not a Black Lightning episode. Yeah. But I think they're going to somehow bring in Cress Williams in some glorified cameo. Because who knows, right? Because if the point of the Crisis crossover is to unify the continuity, then maybe he shows up and then from going forward, we can all assume... Freeland is part of the Arrowverse somehow, just in a different part of the country, so they don't necessarily interact with Central City and Star City. But Chris Williams will be in the show, in the crossover, some in some capacity. We know that's the thing about Christ; no one knows exactly how any of this is going to pan out, and that's what's exciting about it too. 
Oh yeah, and I think look, y'all want to touch on the thing we haven't talked about fully: the Brandon Rouse Kingdom Come Superman costume. Yes. Did we ever think we'd get any live action version ever of Kingdom no. Come? No. And and <laughs> what I love too is that it goes to what I was saying about a multiverse, uh, a live action multiverse, by bringing in Brandon Routh as Superman. And I think Guggenheim has confirmed that he is playing the Superman Returns version of Superman. They're yeah. saying it's a coda, not a sequel. But you know he's playing that the version. If you go and watch oh. Superman Returns, oh. this that's yeah. him. And the thing about oh. what's what's interesting about that is that if you recall, and one of the things I honestly disliked about Superman Returns was that it was a quasi-sequel to the Richard Donner Superman. Yep. So he is essentially playing the the Richard Donner Superman. He's The events yeah. of Brandon Routh's character's life is what happens in the 78 movie, what happens in Superman 2, and then Superman Returns. So like those three movies form like one singular storyline. You know, three and four don't exist in that continuity. Yeah. Um, but but that that Kingdom Come Superman is the Christopher Reeve Superman. I I will tell you that it, it I am ready for the in a world if the if the CW could do this and I know the the um, economics would be impossible. I would so happy be so happy to have a single eight episode one season show that's just Kingdom Come. Give me Brandon <laughs> Ruth Superman. Hell, you can give me Old Man Batman as Kevin Conroy right, right. or whoever you want there. Give me some like. Give me Ryan, like you know you can't do Ryan Reynolds. I'm being I'm being that guy, but like give me some of these. Give me that story. Or you know, I, like the, what they what they hinted at last season with Elseworlds. The big goal yes. is John Stewart. Give him. Oh the yes, yes, please. <laughs> I uh, yeah that and that's such a I love that running joke. I just love <laughs> like they, I love how they confirm fan theories on the show, right? Yeah, wasn't it wasn't it uh, Ship's version of Flash or whatever who yeah. said to him, "Hey yep. John, where's your ring?" Yep, yep, yep. yep. Oh, yeah. just. Yeah, that it's it's uh, I, you know, and and I gotta say it's it. This is where DC's always been so good at the television side of things. And as someone who mm-hmm. used to work for Marvel TV, <laughs> I want to say I respect what everybody Jeff Loeb and everybody there has done with the television shows. But I think DC has always been the one paving the way. Yeah. And uh, in live action, in general, in live action, it's actually only the MCU has really put DC on its heels. Right, right. But DC's always been the one who's been ahead of the curve. And that's what I wish they, I want them to lean into. I wrote a thing on the Nerds of Color a couple of years ago that yeah. like, I kind of wish that the, their movie universe was really, and you know, on a movie budget, the, the fact that they're doing this on TV is what's also bananas that yeah. they can afford to do all this on TV. But like, I wish that the, the, they did a crisis movie, basically, that, that did pull in all of the different live action versions we've seen over the years like i said michael keaton uh because there's they're they are so iconic there's such a part of the pop culture firmament and and marvel wasn't able to do that with their movies like the reason the, the singular continuity works is because those were the first times marvel movies really hit yeah. on on something and the the closest thing that marvel could ever do maybe is to do a spider-verse movie and bring in toby Maguire and andrew garfield and i thought that yeah. might have been where they were going to go when spidey was uh, briefly outside the MCU until they made the deal to bring him back. But, you know, the, that's the only thing that could possibly rival a, a multi-dimensional DC movie where they bring in, like, all the different versions of the characters. But the fact that they are kind of doing that on TV uh, and then and then nodding to the movies with bringing in Brandon Routh and uh, it's it's I mean, is Dece- is it December yet? Because yeah. I don't know what we have to do to get <laughs> to get to. To, to the crisis on our screen. I know. I, I think uh, I, I got a question for you, and I, I know my answer, but I'll, I'll have you go first. 
so going back to Smallville because it is the uh, you know it's it's our it's our bay. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there was one more Smallville character, not Justin Hartley, so he's off the table. Rosenbaum's oh, okay. off the table. Uh, there's one the more table. Smallville character you could bring back to this uh, crisis crossover. Who would it be? So, I mean, I got the two I want, right? Erica yeah. and Tom are yeah. like my my favorite versions of those characters, as, as we've already established. I would want to somehow bring in the parents. Okay. Whether it's Jonathan and Martha in some capacity or Lionel even, even though they're all, you know, Ooh, I think Lionel Jack died. Jack Glover's a good call, yeah. But yeah, I would I would like to, I mean, maybe they can get Lex, they can get Lionel somehow. Uh, my, my random choice, cause I'm such a big vampire diaries fan is I want Paul Wesley back as Lucas Luther. Oh, nice. <laughs> if they didn't kill off Adam Knight, they could bring them both. Yeah. Back. <laughs> Do you remember the time when Adam, when Adam Knight, when Ian Summerhalder was Adam Knight, when there was a theory that he was, he was Batman. Yeah. Cause they're like, night is dark night. And I'm like, Adam, Adam, West. Adam, Adam West. <laughs> like it was it's like, he's wearing 27 on his shirt. That's a nod to detective 27. <laughs> like, yeah, it was fan theories were weird back then. But, but do you think they'd. On some level, they had to have been aware of what they were doing. I might have talked to Al Goff about this. They never intended for him to be Batman. I don't think they ever intended him to be like a zombie vampire either. (laughs) But there was never an intention that he was Batman. Yeah. And actually, because, you know, I did a rewatch of season three recently, too. And, and it you know, when you rewatch it, maybe because we know the the, how it turns out, there's not as many nods to Batman as people assumed it was in real time. But I think that they were just kind of like, Here's an Easter egg. It, like Easter, Easter egg is even the wrong term because Easter egg usually denotes that there was some kind of nod to something. But I think they were just like, we're gonna. He's the dark, mysterious one, so we're gonna call him Adam Knight. Yeah. Uh, and but I don't think there was ever an intention that he was gonna somehow be Batman. Oh, that because that was the thing that I think fans always like. It's the whole thing about Chloe being Lois. Like fans were never satisfied with a character just being a character <laughs> I actually, and there I... were fans who still like as Lois was on the show saying well Chloe's really going to be Lois one day oh god yeah the idea that Lois almost became a code name was uh, just nine numbing but it was uh, yeah, yeah. I, I gotta tell you I actually think two of the smartest things they did was were having Chloe sell Lois to kick off the show mm-hmm. and uh, then also having Oliver Queen instead of Bruce Wayne because it freed mm-hmm. you from expectation yeah. Like Chloe could be whatever you needed her to be. And her role in the show was, was unique and it was special in the Superman mythos. And I, you know, it's the thing I wish could be carried on. Cause I actually think there's a lot of value to that character and, and the dynamic of the relationship where she has to Clark's her first love and Clark, Clark just doesn't feel the same way. And, and her moving on and them being such good friends mm. is so, and, and then him falling in love with someone who's just a few degrees off from her is right. such an <laughs> interesting thing. And I think uh, her and Oliver is fascinating because that's not the guy you think she would end up with based on the way that the quote unquote nerdy characters are played in these shows. But then that was a template for like Felicity on the Arrow show, right? Like, Absolutely. But but like, I think it's so interesting that like the way I know it's not the most uh, deep parallel to assess here, but like Oliver is with Lois first and ends up with Chloe. Clark's with not with Chloe first, <laughs> but knows her first and ends up with Lois. Like, right. <laughs> I do think there is actually like, I actually always thought that Oliver and Lois story was a really mature story about two people who love each other, but it doesn't work. Like I thought mm-hmm. it was really understated and like how much she cares for him regardless is, is really powerful. And, uh, okay. You're reminding me by the way, they did the new gods on this show. Oh, wow. I oh, <laughs> they, that's right. Dark side was on this show. Granny goodness. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this was, Oh man, what a great show. Uh, you know, they, yeah. And they found a way to make it work 
Yeah. In the context yeah. of what they'd already established too. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it never felt out of place. No, I just forgot how, how smart the show was. Uh, so. Oh no. Going back to the idea of like gatekeepers. That's why I always thought like people who dismissed the show never really, I don't think they ever watched it because if you watched, it's like, I'm a big fan of teen Titans go yeah. now. And a lot of fans hate that show. Oh man. But, they like, hated it. I a, remember that when it came out. Oof. Well, it's such a, but the thing about Teen Titans, even though it's a, it's a funny show, like ostensibly aimed at kids, it's such a smart show about DC history mm-hmm. that the jokes, it's like, you know, Bugs Bunny back in the day. Like you think it's for kids, but the jokes they make are really for adults. Teen Titans Go is more for like you and me yeah. <laughs> in our age. Cause the jokes that they make is like, it only makes sense if you read comics in 1989, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's what's, <laughs> but that's, again, I think it's, uh, it's, it's like when you go back to your Tom Welling thing, when you're in it. Even as a fan, I think you don't realize what you're getting and you appreciate right. it so much more and you're out, out of it. And my appreciation for Smallville only grows over time when you realize what they accomplished and how hard it is, not only for a show to run 10 seasons, but also <laughs> to like do it in that superhero world. I mean, yeah. look, Arrow's done a lot of great things and I'm sure they could have found a way to run 10 if they all really wanted to break that record. But, right, right. you know, they're they're... They're Especially because nowadays CW doesn't cancel anything. <laughs> well, I think CW also, and I, this is where I credit everybody there, found a way with the supernaturals of the world to make shows that are just that people, uh, and to go back to your phrasing, they stand, but that have fandoms around them that are really special. When a show hits on mm. the CW, that fan base, right? They they're are dedicated. Yeah, they're dedicated. So they're, um, I got to tell you, it's uh, I'm really excited uh, to see Smallville in Crisis. I'm hoping we get all the Superman and girl next to each other, and Lo- yeah. and Lois's. Like, I want, I want the hero shot of them all together. Like, I want that's, that. That's all I want. Yeah, yeah, I want that chill because I also, frankly, want the gift that you and I can just send to each other and say hi all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the super people together. But I just, I just want like, I just want them all together because. And I think they know enough to do that, right? Like the same way that you know you're going to get Kevin Conroy and Burt Ward and Ruby yeah. Rose together at some point. Like, uh, and I and mean, Ashley I hope Scott. so. I, I feel like the you know, like to your point about what Guggenheim is saying, like they wouldn't have hyped Smallville this much if it really was. Like the worst case scenario, right, is that that picture that Erica put on Instagram, you know, Lois and Clark just kind of like toiling around on the farm. And it's and then and then like the monitor shows up and their world disappears, <laughs> like and then that's it. I feel like that would be the worst case scenario. And, and if it does, I'm telling you, what happens is third act of that episode when they're getting beaten down, you see someone fly with a punch to hit them, and it's and it's and it's it's, it's swelling. Yeah, and yeah. it's well, and I gotta tell you, the more I think about it, I think I want him in the plaid because that's his costume. <laughs> and I actually yeah. think the biggest disappointment will be when he doesn't put on the costume. People are gonna be like, "Oh man!" Right, right, right. And I understand that. Well, he still doesn't put on. The yeah, costume, yeah, I, I totally, totally understand that. Uh, what I'm going to say, and this this is not body shaming. I'm just going to say this. I think asking Tom Welling to get into Superman shape when he has not actively been on a superhero show yeah, yeah, yeah. is a really tough thing to ask him to do. Although I will say, like the photo that Erica posted, Welling looked like he's gotten in shape because, as, as I mentioned, he's been doing the convention circuit uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah. And he has, you know, he, he doesn't look like the tom welling of 2010 right like yeah. who who could who could keep that up unless you were on a on a, the lead on a very successful TV yes show. the se- season premiere version <laughs> of tom welling because he'd always have to take off his shirt like remember yeah. like the phone booth in season two or three oh, or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. three yeah, season yeah. three the phone booth and you're like right. hold exactly. you're like yeah. do you eat food or do you just work out right. all the time what exactly. is this and uh 
that's so when you don't have that pressure yeah Yeah. exactly it's an impossible standard he has chiseled up a little bit and i think someone was saying i read somewhere that he was actually filming a movie where he's playing a soldier and then he went Uh. right from that to smallville so he is in better shape and you know we may not get like shirtless clark shape but you know maybe you could put on a blue skin tight costume who knows I, I'm still holding out hope. I'd like to see Welling in a costume, but I, I'm with you. If if he shows up and he's only in like the plaid or, or even the red and the blue, I just I'm just so happy to see them on my TV again. I mean, I I geeked out last year when Tyler Hecklin and Elizabeth Tulloch were on the yeah, same farm, yeah. with the Remy Zero music. That's like even if that's all we had, like I would have been a happy Smallville fan. But the fact that we're actually getting the characters is oh, we we definitely need some Remy Zero nice. in this uh in this episode in this crossover. <laughs> For sure, not a doubt, <laughs> not a question. I can even take it multiple times. <laughs> and, That's your ringtone, isn't it? Man? <laughs> it was at a point in my life. It definitely was. <laughs> but you know, you're funny. You were, t- and I, you know, uh, talk going back to the very beginning and putting a, uh, a pin on all of it. Like you were talking about playlists and music. I have a like a comfort rock playlist, and it's got like, mm-hmm. look, I'm Canadian, so it's got Nickelback on it. But it does have Remy Zero <laughs> I won't on. Hold there. that against you. Yeah, it does have Remy Zero on there because how could it not? Because that is like. That's one of those songs that just takes me back. It's, it's iconic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, like I said, it, it there, and there's so much more stuff about the crisis that that you know, Osric Chow is playing Ryan Choi, yes. which is crazy, uh, and he simulated himself into the role because he he's been wanting to play Ryan for like the last five years. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He like on Twitter, he said like in 2014, he was like, "Fine, I'll play Ryan Choi." And Gail Simone, who created the character had this really beautiful Twitter thread about, first of all, why she created the character, how important it was to see people really identify with Ryan Choi. And for those of you who don't know, he's the first Asian American Adam. And and then, like, I think Osric had reached out to her and, and talk, talked about how much he identified with the character and wanted to play him one day. And then, you know, seeing him actually get the, get the role just filled her with so much pride and joy. And it was like, this is why comics is great. And like, yes, yes, Gail Simone, that is why comics are great. And uh, so, yeah, so that, again, all the people that are introducing, all the people that they have to somehow reintroduce, it's it's going to be crazy. My hope is that they somehow edit all five episodes into like a three and a half hour movie and release that on DVD Ooh, and Blu-ray. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> so I, think, I, there's a, I, think, dude, I actually, think there's a market for that, by the way. I think there's Oh, for sure. I mean, I would buy 20 copies by myself. Yeah, no, but, but I mean, imagine if you put that on iTunes and you could categorize it as a movie or you could buy the yeah. episodes separately. Like, yeah, because five, oh, sure. five is 15. You could sell the movie for 14.99, just have it cut together, throw bonuses on there and charge 20 bucks if you want. And you, yeah. People like you and me aren't going to blink at that at all. Not at all. No, <laughs> but that's like, yeah. I'm still a physical media guy, so I still want them to release all 10 seasons on Blu-ray because I have the DVD box set. Yeah. That's what I, we've been rewatching. And I need I need them on. I need the Blu-rays for all 10. I know that'll never happen because physical media is a dying thing. But again, I'm an old guy. I like how I like holding my discs in hand. <laughs> I think the, uh, I think the thing is for people like you and me, what they're going to have to do is find a way to upcharge it. So like they'd have to put in some special collector set and charge us like oh, yeah. a ton of, and you know what though? Um, hey, friends at DC, I should tell my wife, she works at Warner brothers, friends yeah, at DC, go. Keith and I will pre-order tomorrow. <laughs> Sure. I'm considering pre. I was considering pre-ordering that Unicron toy from Hasbro. Oh yeah, so, the Haslab. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. it's just like a smidge too much, and I also have cats. So if I set up the toy, it, that toy right. one gives me anxiety over just looking at like how much I have to transform it. Like that's too much for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and two, I have cats who will destroy it. But like Smallville box set, 
yes please like smallville box set crisis on infinite earth re-edited as a movie like forget yeah. release the snyder cut release the crisis cut that's what i want <laughs> yeah no the cri- that would be that, you know honestly like <laughs> we should start that hashtag the, the crisis cut that would be so we, we, but we our whole argument has to be what henry cavill needs to be in it with or without the mustache <laughs> who i want to say as much as i'm not the biggest man of steel fan i do like cavill a lot i do yeah so, i feel bad for him actually because he never got the chance like, it's actually the same thing I felt about Rob. I know you, you said you liked Superman Returns. Yeah. My only issues with it, well, I mean... I have, I have issues with it, don't get me wrong, but that plane sequence is Oh, yeah, for sure. That's Superman. the best. That's yeah. the best scene in the whole movie. We talked about how Alice and Mack will never come back. I mean, Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey are kind of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they Rightfully kind of make canceled that movie. as well. <laughs> right, they make that movie uh, hard to rewatch, too. Yes. But, but Roth was never given the opportunity to really play... To really lean into who he is as a person. As you said, you met him on set and he was the nicest guy. Yes. I've met him a couple of times in person. He's like actually one of my favorite people I've ever, like celebrity wise, one of my favorite people I've ever met in person yeah. because he's so sweet, so genuine. He is Clark Kent. Like there is a reason why this farm boy from Iowa became Clark Kent, right? Yeah. But the movie, because it was this weird quasi sequel slash reboot, and also it came out in the middle of Smallville's, I was a little perturbed because I was like, Tom Welling's my Superman. Um, but, uh, but, like he was never able to really put his own stamp on the character because he had to basically mimic Christopher Reeve while also like doing it in a 2006 way, you know? But when you watch him as Ray Palmer and all the charisma and charm that he brings to that character, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's what I wanted to see in Superman. And so that the fact that he's getting to play Superman in an, in an awesome costume, literally the best live action Superman costume I've ever seen. Oh, fills me with joy. Oh, it does. Trunks, trunks make me happy. I don't care what anybody says. Trunks yes. make me happy. And you know, and I think that you know, we were we were touching on it a little bit with and with Henry Cavill. I think what he suffered from was having to play a version of Superman. And I don't want to, you know, the Zack Snyder stance to come out and you know at the at me and stuff. But I feel like Zack Snyder also is the type of person I was talking about earlier who who views Superman differently. Than like say how you and I view Superman, like he's very much in the Superman is this powerful god that should be feared. Yeah, right. And that's his kind of in like I couldn't make the trunks look cool. That's why I got rid of him. Was was he actually? I think is quoted saying that on the Blu-ray, right? Like I I didn't know how to make Superman cool other than making him like this badass. And it's like the one thing Superman is not is a badass, yeah. right? He's earnest. And, and you know, I, I've also said this a thousand times, but the scene that really bothers me in Man of Steel isn't the one where he snaps Zod's neck. Like, though, that does bother me. The scene that really gets me every time in a bad way is the scene during the Metropolis fight where Zod throws an oil tanker at Superman. And instead of catching it, he floats between the cab and the trailer and it lands into like a building behind him and it blows up in a fireball and the building collapses. And Superman just looks at it like, yeah, I'm a badass, right? Yeah. That's not what Superman would do. He would catch the truck and prevent it from destroying the building. You know what I mean? He wouldn't just like like dodge it, like look how cool I am by dodging this truck. And, and that's the thing that I wish, like, because Henry as a person is really cool. I've always said Man from Uncle was my favorite I, I always wanted Army Hammer to play Batman because I wanted to see him and Henry Cavill play off each other the way they do in Man from Uncle. 
that's what I want in a in a Superman. I wanted like a, this charming, nice, earnest guy, not this like I'm a badass who could kill you with my eyes. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I think it's uh, I think it, it is. Uh, I think it's be interesting to see where they go with him. And it's funny you bring up Routh. I actually think, uh, and I think putting a, a you know close this close off our conversation here. It's uh, yeah. I think I think Routh had a hard time because he was competing against Welling having small yeah, yeah. at the same time was it was a tough thing and people their superman was tom welling it wasn't brandon routh and they they weren't interested in multiverses they didn't they were everything was a lot more binary in terms of how these universes worked and so right you know and you know honestly there were those of us in the smallville fandom and i will raise my hand and say i was one of them who was hoping we would get tom welling as superman in a smallville movie one day of course. like there were still those who held out hope that you know the show would this is like what they used to do with star trek like it would be seven seasons of a show and then it would do like the communities thing yeah. six seasons in a movie right absolutely it, and and I, I understand look and that was that was the model then and look remember even x files had a movie everybody you know right. there was a thing you could do um uh, and if that had worked i wouldn't have been surprised if buffy got another movie with you know Sarah yeah. michelle geller this time for sure if, it, right, right, if, right. if that had been the model at that point but what i'll say is I love that we're getting more small, but I'm, lo- I'm loving that people are, I love that it's still, it, it endures. Um, years ago, mm-hmm. so this was uh, 2016 when I, you know, after that surgery, I'd lost all that weight. That birthday, my birthday's in October. I actually had a Smallville themed uh, birthday party. So like I wore red and blue and that uh, <laughs> I had all the desserts. There was working with a local company here in LA called the Needy Bakery. Uh, and I think they're on, online, they're Two Baked Girls is their, is their name. And they do a lot of <laughs> geeky um, baking. They do like supernatural pies called soup pie naturals. Nice. But they did, they made like red and green kryptonite cover, like chocolate covered pretzel sticks. And they were just like different colors. And we had all these Superman themed awesome. things. Cause I just love that show. And it was around the same time they announced Smallville was coming to Hulu. And it just felt mm-hmm. like, um, I feel like people have been recognizing for a while that there's more to this show than, uh, than maybe they remember it. And when you go back and watch it, mm-hmm. when you look at it in the context of what it had to do, the era it came up in, I would I would be shocked if we don't get a remake of the show at some point in our lifetime because there's too much good in it for someone not to want to explore it again. Mm, that's interesting. You know, I always thought that you you know again never thinking that Tom would ever physically portray the role again. I always thought the the best compromise would maybe do an animated movie yeah. where you could bring them all back and do the voices because then they wouldn't have the commitment of like you said like training 24 hours a day just to get back in Superman shape. Basically turn season 11 into a yeah. movie somehow and 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 animate the like they do with a lot of the dcau stuff where they just take like killing joke or they take under the red hood or something and then turn them into a movie i was one of my wishes before the crisis ever was a thought in my mind was do a season 11 animated movie and bring rosenbaum back bring erica back bring tom back but yeah so i i'm with you i, I think there's a lot to revisit there and just rewatching it is is great because it's a lot of it still holds up. I mean, some of the technology is weird. Like I watch it with my daughter now, and she's like, "Their cell phones look weird," <laughs> you know. But but it does like the the essence of the show definitely holds up. Uh, Fifteen, eighteen years later. Yeah, well, listen, I appreciate so much all these years later you having me come on the show to talk about this. It's been a blast, and it's uh, I'm glad we get to catch up and maybe uh, 
after the after it all airs, um, if the timing works, uh, we can chat about how awesome a job they did with our favorite coming back. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with that. I, I I think that's that's brilliant. Uh, before you go, can you tell our listeners how to find you on the internet? Yeah, yeah. Find me at Arun at A R U N E on Twitter and at Arun Singh A R U N E S I N G H on Instagram. Uh, like I always say, if we don't know each other, we're probably not going to be Facebook buddies. So don't worry about me there. And LinkedIn, uh, if you want to add me, that's fine. I never <laughs> use it, but sure. And if you're at New York Comic Con this week, uh, Boom Studios booth 1828, I will be there. So come by, say hey. I'm always happy to meet more people and chat. And uh, we got a lot of cool stuff on sale there by Asian American creators like Greg Puck, by myself. And uh, we're happy to uh, introduce you to your new favorite comic. Please, uh, please reach out, say, Hey, uh, lo- I always love hearing the Smallville love. Um, so <laughs> and bring, bring some Oreos. If you yes, see, that, yeah. he, he, don't give all the secrets away. They, I don't want him to be too scared by me, <laughs> but again, keep... he's like the Martian Manhunter in real life. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Um, you know, seriously for the time and, uh, oh, you, sure. you, y'all do a great job here promoting this. So while I couldn't be part of it every week, I'm so glad it's been so successful. Appreciate you, man. And, and, uh, yeah, for sure. Whenever, whenever you're available just give me a ring we will always find time i mean the main reason i approached andy about launching the show is so i could have an excuse to talk about smallville so (laughs) ostensibly we're supposed to talk about all the classic dc shows but you know i always somehow bring smallville back into the conversation so to have you on the show was definitely a a highlight because we i don't think that anyone's ever nerded out this much about smallville (laughs) especially (laughs) two like 40 year old dudes who were probably past the demographic but what doesn't doesn't matter because we love it so yeah it's uh well hey look uh we can this is part one to be continued it is our crisis of infinite small boat conversation <laughs> there you go that's a new podcast crisis on infinite yeah. small all right man. all right keith thanks Appreciate so much it. big thanks to Rune singh for joining us on the podcast thank you for listening follow me on twitter at the real child the underscore real underscore child and follow the podcast at dctv classics Give us an email at dctvclassics at gmail.com and go to dctvpodcast.com for this and all of the podcasts of the DCTV Podcast family and hardknockmedia.com for all of the Hard Knock Media podcasts. Until next time, same pod time, same pod channel. <laughs>